What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype Podcast. It's been a roller coaster season for the Toronto Raptors, filled with trade speculation surrounding the team's core. So with the trade deadline rapidly approaching, I'm joined by my former colleague and Sportsnet Raptors analyst and host, Blake Murphy, to break down what's next for Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and Coach Nick Nurse on the latest edition of the Hoops High Podcast. Blake, my man, what's going on your way, brother, up north? Uh, not much. A lot of a lot of snow right now. We've had like a we, I know everyone associates Toronto with, with snow, but the reality is we're not that much further north than a lot of U.S. cities. Um, but yeah, it's gone full like 2016 All-Star weekend on us the last couple of days. It's uh, I'm looking out at just gray and snow right now. Well, thankfully, with you coming on. You're going to brighten it up like sunshine and rainbows because we've got a lot to to talk about with this Toronto Raptors team leading into the deadline. Probably, honestly, the team that I think holds a lot of the cards for the trade deadline and is the biggest wild card going into the deadline as we get ready here coming up for uh, in February. And, you know, Blake, I think the first guy we got to start off with, Gary Trent Jr., um, you know, I had written this closer towards the Vegas G League showcase, but it still stands true now to my knowledge. Uh, according to NBA executives I've spoken to around the league, they think Gary Trent Jr. still remains the top trade candidate on the Raptors. Trent just turned 24, and in Toronto, I mean, he's been consistent. He's averaged 18 or 19 points a game the past two seasons. Um, he's got an $18.8 million player option for next season. Uh, given his age, given the market, most executives I talk to think he can get around that, if not a little bit more, if he decided to opt out. Um, they're operating as if they think he will. Uh, he is one of the top free agents, at least that is projected to be available on our hoops hype rankings. When you look at Gary Trent's situation in Toronto briefly came off the bench for a little bit in Toronto. Um, you know, Nick nurse has commented on him earlier this year and his play and, and needing a little bit more out of him at a certain point earlier in the year. What do you see as the trade landscape for Gary Trent jr. Now, what would Toronto want and what are the chances that he's a Raptor past the deadline? He's kind of emblematic of the entire situation in Toronto where they have a handful of guys that are good and are on decent contracts and that a lot of good teams around the league would want. And then you start to question, well, okay, do you really want to trade him? Now, the tough part with Gary Trent Jr., uh, beyond the fact that I, I would say it's a barring injury, it's a certainty he'll opt out after the season is that the Raptors are in a bit of a cap situation with him and Fred Van Vliet, both able and likely to opt out this summer, where if they couldn't come to terms uh, on a new deal with either of those guys, there's the potential they lose them and can't replace them because the Raptors don't project to be a, a big cap space team, even without those two guys. They, they'd have to make some other waiver moves, maybe a draft and stash to carve out significant cap space. So what you're looking at here for the Raptors is okay, well, do you deal Gary Trent Jr. at the trade deadline? It's kind of the Norman Powell for Gary Trent trade over again, where it's, um, you know, hey, let's get someone who's a little younger or a little 
less expensive or has a little more team control. So, you know, when they traded Norman Powell for Gary Trent Jr., it was about, well, Gary Trent Jr. is much younger and he's a restricted free agent. So your chances of re-signing him are much stronger. Uh, and it played out that way. Gary Trent Jr. is a lot younger right now than Norman Powell was at that point. And I think this team thinks he could continue to grow with them. Um, the the hard part comes to, you know, and my colleague Michael Grange at Sports that had a, had a great piece on Gary Trent Jr. earlier this week. And he said, yeah, there's mutual interest between both sides in re-signing. But what that didn't get into is at what price. If Gary Trent Jr. is out there looking at the Jordan Poole deal and the uh, Tyler Hero deal, and he thinks the Anthony Simons deal is on the low end for him, that gets a little tough because then you're talking about a Raptors team that is below 500 right now and would be locking into probably being a tax team pretty quickly. So that's that's why the situation is a little complicated. I personally tend to think he's still the likeliest uh, to be dealt from the, the kind of core here because he is due a big raise and they're, you know, as much as this team needs shot creation and needs three-point shooting, obviously uh, Gary Trent Jr. has those things uh, and very few other guys on the Raptors do. It's hard to, or sorry, it's it's not hard. It's it's easy to find scenarios where you could deal him, uh, get back a useful roster piece, and maybe a long term asset. There, there are probably with Gary Trent Jr. only having a seventeen point five million cap hit right now, probably a dozen teams in the league who would at least have the discussion with you. Uh, on Gary Trent Jr. So this is a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but I do think the Raptors are in a bit of a wishy-washy spot where they're not only trying to see what the value is for Gary Trent Jr. out there, but also trying to gauge, you know, what does the next contract look like for him? And if you don't sign him to, or if you don't trade him at the trade deadline, you know, does he have you over a barrel this summer where it's, hey, Gary Trent Jr. at $25 million a year or... Gary Trent Jr. leaves and you don't have ample cap space uh, to retain him or to replace him. He's kind of like the A1 example this year of why bird rights are so valuable for, for people who, you know, don't don't recognize that part of the cap or want to learn more about it. Gary Trent's situation with the Raptors is uh, is a pretty good example of why those bird rights are, are so, uh, so important to looking ahead six months, five months here. Um, and also why, you know, some teams might want to jump the market and, and trade for a guy like Gary Trent Jr., even though he is a free agent, because then you don't have to clear out the cap space for him in the summer. Yeah, and I think certainly, you know, you bring up a good point about cap space. First off, I mean, Blake, when I'm looking at the mid-level exception going up, you know, even in years down the line, let alone now, you're talking about, uh, mid-level if you're a non-taxpayer team you know you're talking like closer to 10 million dollars upwards that you could pay a guy so what's the difference between that and the cap space at that point you might as well uh get a guy and and have the slot that way um that you can retain them with bird rights as you're talking about where you can go over the cap um i think what's interesting for toronto you talked about the financial evaluation with him uh there's certainly people around the league that think he can get eclipse that $20 million mark. Uh, I'm not sure if he gets to the $25 million mark. I mean, if he does, it's, you know, based on age. I mean, the guy, again, the guy's 24. You touched on, he's a lot younger than when Norman Powell uh, was going on to the market at that point. And for Toronto, you've got big decisions to make because down the line, and we'll get into it, you got to look at OG Ananobi's a guy that 
eventually is going to become eligible for an extension. You've got uh, Fred Van Vliet's free agency coming up. And Pascal Siakam's another guy that's been the best player on your team overall. Uh, you're going to have to pay him relatively soon as well. Interesting decisions there to make. Scotty Barnes still remains untouchable as their youngest core piece there. And it's interesting because you could go a couple different directions and we'll get into it. But you've got Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, late 20s, right around 30, uh, you know, win now kind of guys in their prime. And you got younger guys like Trent Ananobi, still got a little bit of upside. And you got Scotty Barnes, who hasn't even scratched the surface of his potential, let alone the prime of his career. Uh, Toronto in the middle of that storm trying to to figure it out. But I think for Gary, like you said, curious what they have you heard what they, you know, are valuing him as right now? Like if they want a, a first round pick or something like that specifically back. I mean, and you touched on like 12 teams, you know, maybe a dozen teams or or so that could be looking at him because of his contract. I think his contract is is fantastically tradable. Uh, no question there. You know, obviously, being that he's a clutch client, he'll always get linked to the Lakers. Um, but have you heard anything on what Toronto would currently value him at in terms of compensation and any specific teams that uh, could be in the mix to trade for Gary Trent Jr.? No specific teams. It's it does feel very similar to the Norman Powell situation where, you know, heading into that trade deadline, it was like, yeah, there are eight or 10 teams calling and like take a look at teams that have guys headed for, you know, free agency for the first time. So in Gary Trent Jr.'s case, or um, I believe Malik Monk was another name that until LaMelo Ball got hurt, um, that was the same kind of potential guy. So that's kind of what I'm looking at now. I, I think a reasonable framework would be, hey, a young player who, even if they're about to be a free agent, you could sign cheaper than Gary Trent is going to be, um, plus some salary matching you know, Gary Trent Jr. doesn't make a ton of money, but most of these teams are going to have to send out uh, a salary to to match and make that work. Um, and then, yeah, the the quibbling point and where the Raptors probably pull the trigger or walk away is can you get another first in and specifically can you get another first in this draft that is a pretty good draft and um you know i wrote recently michael uh, about the rap how the raptors haven't had quite the same success late in the draft and uh in the undrafted free agent and development bin that they had on the way up to the championship and part of that is that they dealt four first round picks and seven second round picks on the way up to win that championship. And no one would trade the championship for a couple extra picks, but you do look back and see, man, this team hasn't really had a lot of shots at finding guys to, to develop at least in the same places they had before. So I do think they'd put a premium on nearer term picks. Um, sure. If the Lakers come calling and those 2027 and 2029 picks are available, maybe that changes things because they're so valuable. But I think for right now, um, yeah, you're looking at someone who could contribute to this team next year and uh, a near term pick plus, you know, whatever's got to happen to make the salary math work. There's one area that I'd, I'd look at if I were them. And I don't know that this is something that they are necessarily looking at, um, but I would. So let's say 
Um, Dallas, for example, was interested in Gary Trent. And, and one of the ways to make that cap math work is to eat the contract of Davis Bertons. Well, the Raptors don't figure to have cap space this summer. Um, so maybe that a contract like that for someone who could play a back-end rotation role, while that's a very bad contract, if that gets them a better pick in the process or a better prospect in the process, I do wonder if they'd be willing to take on uh, longer-term money uh, that at least extends to next year. I haven't heard that specifically, but if I'm in their shoes, I'm at least taking a look at that um, because that's a way to get better pick equity uh, without giving up more pieces as well. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair assessment. I think, uh, you know, you talk about picks. It kind of brings me to the next guy I want to talk about, OG Ananobi. And, you know, there's been some speculation from a few rival executives that, the Memphis Grizzlies could make a run in Ananobi given their surplus of draft picks in the years to come. He's a young guy, two-way player on both sides of the ball, and Memphis has done a good job of drafting guys, but at some point you got to consolidate some of these guys. Um, and then there was a report out there, I believe it was from the Toronto Star, that one mystery team previously offered three first-round picks for Ananobi. Blake, I'm going to tell you right now, when I saw that, I said to myself, if that was true, OG's bags would have probably been packed, <laughs> in my opinion, because I don't see Toronto getting a better package than that for him, uh, at, certainly at best. Um, when you look at OG Ananobi, what's your sense on how they're evaluating his trade value and whether he'll be with this team or not going forward? Because he's certainly, I would say, one of the most desired players on this team, let alone the NBA on the market. For sure he is. And he should be right. Like this is a guy who not only is he still very young at 25. So you think maybe there's uh some upside there still, but this is a guy who show me the lineup in the league that he can't fit into. He's six foot seven or six foot eight. Um, you know, it, with some of the, the metrics that are out there and I've kicked my hand at, at trying to create some as well. You know, he consistently ranks as, one of, if not the most versatile defender in the NBA, and that's both positionally and in terms of role. This is a guy who can guard a ball-dominant shooting guard like a James Harden and then switch off, and he's guarding Joel Embiid in the same possession or in the same quarter. Um, not that he's, you know, well-suited for an MB type who is, uh, but there is a level of versatility here. And then offensively, he hasn't quite developed in the in-between game as much as I think he personally would like. Um, but he is a guy that finishes at the rim at almost a 70% clip and is a career 37% three-point shooter. So you look at a guy who doesn't hurt your spacing. I believe he's second in the league right now in total corner threes hit uh, and can defend all over the place like that. And, you know, any team should at least make a call if he's available because there's not a lineup or a starting lineup in basketball that he doesn't slide into seamlessly. Um, you know, there are some questions about, okay, how do you expand his role? If that's something that's really important to him, uh, maybe a Memphis team where they are that deep wouldn't be a, a fit long-term, but certainly for this year and next um, OG has got that 18.6 million for next year. And that's before he gets to a player option in 2024, 2025 um, in terms of like production per dollar and the ability to have this guy on your roster for the next 18 months. It's hard to see many guys uh, who are, as plug and play as OG and Anobi on the market. Now the first round pick 
report. Um, you know, I, I don't, the thing with three first round picks is once you dig into it, that could mean a lot of different things, right? Like if that's, if that's three, 2024, if that's 2023, 2024, 2025 first round picks from teams that are at the very top of the standings, that's a little different than like the 2029 Lakers pick unprotected or a 2023 pick from the Washington Wizards, right? Like, um, so the quality of those picks could vary. I'm in a spot with OG and Anobi, and I know that Masai and OG have a, a pretty strong relationship. I think that why you're hearing things like that out there at this stage is the Raptors aren't in a spot where anyone can be untouchable, but they want to be blown away if they're going to consider trading OG Ananobi. And the thing with him is I, I just mentioned the contract for next year and then a player option is, you know, say they make a move at this deadline or two, and then they decide in the off season, you know what? We really do need to go more aggressive and, and trade more pieces away. Well, OG Ananobi is going to have tremendous trade value in the off season. Again, he would have tremendous trade value at next year's trade deadline. Um, again, the bird rights would go with them in any trade. So you have the chance to extend or, or re-sign him after. So um, I think it would take quite a haul for the Raptors to move OG Ananobi. That to me has always seemed like more of a, Hey, if they reevaluate things in the off season, and this is a bigger teardown than we're talking about right now, then yeah, OG's available to, and come correct with a boatload of picks. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as you touched on what he could be in terms of his future and looking at his contract, certainly he's on the books this year, next year, uh, $18.6 million. Then he's got the player option for the 2024-25 season, which uh, you could certainly project that he would decline at this point. Um, so you got to factor that in when you're trading for him. You touched on the bird rights and whatnot as well. Um, you know, I, we touched on hoops hype a couple of teams that could be potential suitors for him. Uh, I'll link that in the transcript for anybody that wants to check that out. But um, also looking ahead, we've got. In a way, the certainly the locker room leader uh, ahead of the snake in that regard, Fred Van Vliet, uh, coming up on a player option, which by all accounts from anyone you talk to around the league, uh, Fred Van Vliet is expected to decline that player option and enter unrestricted free agency. Um, and logically based, you know, Fred, if he wasn't taking the extension, that player option value is far less than that anyway. Um, so to me, that's that's a formality at this point um, that he will enter on a restricted free agent, you know, barring a significant injury of any kind, you know, knock on wood, hopefully not for Fred. Um, but, you know, look, regarding, uh, you know, I know there was some reporting out in Toronto about his extension talks. Uh, regarding Fred Van Vliet's extension talks before the season, I was told that four-year, $114 million extension offer uh, was never going to be high enough since Van Vliet, who is one of the top free agents entering the market this summer, considered himself somewhere in the 30 to $35 million average annual range, which uh, if you want to do a comparison, it, it's similar to Drew Holiday's average annual salary, for example. So to me, I just thought that was a formality. Um, there seemed to certainly be an understanding with Toronto and Fred at the time uh, that it, it was just a logistical thing and that, you know, the, the possibility of him being with Toronto long-term was certainly in play. 
I still believe that to be the case now, even though his name is going to come up in trade rumors. Uh, you touched on it with OG Ananobi, right? Like if they're going to get blown away, then they got to listen. There's certainly teams out there that could use uh, an all-star level point guard and a guy that plays both sides of the ball in Fred at this point. So when you put all that together, what do you see for Fred Van Vliet heading into the trade deadline and then entering unrestricted free agency where you've got a team, for example, like the Orlando Magic that, you know, if they get a veteran point guard like him, they could really take off and and they have uh, reportedly some potential interest in him as we look way out ahead and towards free agency. The Orlando Magic are also one of the, you know, the handful of teams that you can see finding a way to cap space so that you don't have to, um, you know, trade assets for Fred Van Vliet. Or if you do, maybe it's in a sign and trade scenario. So um, this is going to be a pretty interesting one to watch. I, I think it's kind of somewhere in between the Gary Trent situation and the OGN and OB situation where they've got to look at offers because like Gary Trent, Fred Van Vliet could potentially leave for nothing and you don't have a great means of replacing him. Um, But also I think they value him internally at a not, I don't know about much higher level, but certainly a higher level than Gary Trent Jr. And part of that is, you know, through the negatives this year, through the bad, Fred Van Vliet is one of the key forces in trying to keep that room together. And he's the guy that, you know, I, I do think the specifics of how his role have changed offensively have been a little exaggerated, um, but he is the guy with the kind of malleable role who um, has had to shift around a little bit as Scotty emerges as more of a point guard and then as more of a screen, uh, screen and roll option um, as Pascal obviously once again turns in a borderline all NBA season. So I, I think a lot of teams would love to have Fred Van Vliet again, 21.2 million is a pretty easy number for a lot of teams to fit into their cap sheet um, in terms of trade. You only have to send out maybe one bad salary or two mid-level salaries or something like that. Um, The Fred one, if, if he were to be dealt, you know, that would put my eyes on what Pascal Siakam's situation is this summer, just because, you know, right now the kind of parallel timelines the Raptors are trying to run is predicated on Fred and Pascal, not just Pascal, no matter how good Pascal is. So um, there would be a, a domino to that. I think, I think right now, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to get, I, I laid out what I think they'd maybe be looking for, for Gary Trent jr. I think you're talking, uh, you know, like a young player that they can plug in as someone who's going to be a part of this team this year, next, maybe the, the year after, and then pick equity for Fred Van Vliet. Um, as well as, yeah, you probably got to take back a bad contract uh, wherever, depending on, on who's in that deal. One of the more fascinating things for me with Fred Van Vliet to, to think about is, um, you know, he's uh, if they don't trade him, there's always the option to sign and trade him in the offseason. And I do think there will be more paths to that. Uh, with Fred Van Vliet than Gary Trent, maybe just because it's harder to get the cap space open to sign Fred Van Vliet outright if he wants to go, say, to a winning situation. Um, but if you are a tax team or your team that believes they're going to be into the tax, sign and trades are difficult because they hard cap you. So, you know, we've heard very light rumblings that the Clippers might be interested. Well, the Clippers have no chance of signing Fred Van Vliet in free agency and no chance of doing a sign and trade for him because they're going to blow way past the apron as it is. Um, If they wanted Fred Van Vliet to be a a part of the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George core, 
they would have to trade for him uh, in a scenario like right now. Now, I'm not saying that that's out there. I just think that, you know, those teams become interesting because I do think Fred could drop into a winner. Maybe his role shrinks a little bit and he kind of fits in around who's there. And that could be a, a really quick and easy fit for a lot of teams. Um, and then again, you have the bird rights to resign him. You don't have to worry about the hard cap and sign and trade. Um, I don't know. The, the Orlando thing's been interesting because that's an obvious fit on paper. And Jeff Weltman was around the Raptors uh, not all that long ago. So there's probably a familiarity there. Uh, the Phoenix thing kind of keeps coming up and Phoenix was one of the teams that were really in on him in 2018 when he ended up, uh, you know, he was kind of in a spot where a team could have given him the, uh, the arenas provision two years at the max and then two years at the, the, the next uh, level max or whatever. Um, but he opted for his two year max at that time, which was really small um, with the Raptors and to revisit it in 2020. And at that point, the, the Suns had Chris Paul and uh, had gone a couple other routes. So um, Fred Van Vliet's situation is a fascinating one to me. He's kind of the, you, you mentioned off the top here that the Raptors are kind of the domino that people are looking at around the NBA. And I think that, you know, Fred could be, a pretty big domino piece, not just around the league, because, you know, say he lands in Denver or Memphis or Sacramento or something like that. And I say those teams just because they're at the top of the Western conference standings, uh, do the other ones or the Pelicans or the Clippers or the Mavs then have to go on tilt and try to, to keep pace with that. Like, I, I do wonder if there's a team out there that wants the early mover advantage uh, with Fred Van Vliet as well. So I I'd expect his name to come up a lot the next two weeks. Um, but yeah, to your point earlier about the contract stuff, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. He's gone because yeah, the, the, this is part of the issue with the NBA's rules around contract extensions for veterans is if you're not a max guy and you, or you're not a, a rookie coming off your first round pick, it's really hard to find the sweet spot for extensions. And, uh, Fred was probably right to go to free agency. And now that his season has kind of turned around and he's back being the guy that, uh, that we expected him to be. Um, yeah, he's almost a guaranteed opt-out this year. Sorry, that was a long answer, Michael, but I got, you know, me, you know me. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for the context. And you touched on how him and Siakam, it, it may not be just separate that how they would look at them uh, kind of as a duo long-term um, in their future plans, you know, alongside Scotty Barnes and whatnot and, and however they break up or decide to keep OG or Trent. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam is leading the league in minutes per game for the second straight season. He's averaging career highs in points. He's over 25, about six and a half assists. Um, from talking to executives around the league, they don't believe he's going to be traded unless you overpay and blow Toronto away with a crazy offer. What say you, my friend? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think that would be an off-season thing that they'd have to explore. It just... Trading a superstar or a non-superstar star is always going to be a little easier in the offseason when the team acquiring him can structure their whole offseason around it. Yeah, I think that's an easier move in the offseason when more teams have cap flexibility. Um, I also think there's an element, too, if you're acquiring Pascal Siakam, um, if he makes all NBA this year, he's then eligible for that super max extension with the Raptors. Um, maybe that makes it harder to trade him because he wants to stay and get that deal. Maybe it makes it easier to trade him if he doesn't make all NBA because then a team knows that his uh, 
his extension is is or his next deal is at a slightly lower value. I, I just think there's a lot with that that would have to come in the offseason, both for the Raptors and for whatever team would be acquiring him. And as we kind of wrap up looking at this Raptors trade deadline preview, we'll look a little further into the offseason and and Nick Nurse. Uh, he's won a championship in his first year as coach. Then he won coach of the year, his second season. Uh, but it's been underwhelming in his fifth season for him and the Raptors this year uh, thus far. Is there any possibility he's not back next season? I'd be pretty surprised if they let him go. Now, there are always those scenarios where a glamour market team comes around and offers him a huge raise and the Raptors say, you know what, we'll we'll play ball and kick us back a second round pick or a first round pick in the future or something like that. Um, but with, I think he has one year left on his deal after this season. Um, it's hard to see the Raptors moving off of that. Not only has he been without much argument, the most successful uh, coach in Raptors history. Um, we're not far removed from this guy. Like you said, being a championship coach, being a coach of the year um, in the seasons that they made the playoffs that weren't the championship seasons. He had a pretty strong performance in, in the playoff series that the Raptors were in. So this is a guy who, yeah, he maybe hasn't had the best season in a year when things aren't working well and, and the defense isn't clicking. And I do think he's probably, you know, probably needs to reevaluate the the minutes load on some of these guys at some point. Cause it's not just the minutes. These guys also play the most aggressive defensive basketball. Um, you know, there's room for improvement there for sure. But I think that if you plan on being back in the playoffs next year, you know that he's a good playoff coach. You know that when things when the wins are coming, he can get that buy-in and stuff. Um, it's just been a, a tough year in all regards there. Now, does he get an extension this off season? And does that make it awkward for him to head in the off season as a, or head in the next season as a lame duck coach? That's a tougher one, but I don't think they would cut ties with him unless it's one of those scenarios where, you know, one year left on his deal, another team comes calling, you can get a pick for it. And it's just kind of is a win-win all around. Something certainly to monitor as is your coverage and your analysis. On Sportsnet of the Raptors. I appreciate you joining me as always, brother. A lot of fun chatting with you just in general. You know, you're one of my favorite guys in the business, but also I appreciate your perspective being out there in Toronto day to day around these guys and, and all the Toronto sports out there, brother. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on and, and considering me still a Raptors guy as I also juggle the Blue Jays and the Leafs and everything now. <laughs> Not for sure, but you you get you get your hands in that breaking news business from time to time yeah, with the Raptors. I'm still at the arena once in a while. It just uh, it's been it honestly it's been this is I'm sure your listeners don't care about this, but like it's been a little interesting this year because the time slot I'm in on radio right now goes until seven o'clock. So to actually get to games is like really difficult. I've got like a small window to get on the subway and get to the arena, uh, so I can only pull it off sometimes. No, for sure. But when you are there, you've been productive and getting some scoops here and there and 
certainly you know what's going on. You got your you got your guys in that building as well. So I appreciate you sharing some of that insight with us. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Blake Murphy, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Blake too. He's at Blake Murphy ODC. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.